Welcome back to the Everything That Came Before Grace podcast. I'm Bill C. We now jump forward three years to mid-2019, and Benjamin recounts how it's been since Sophia has been gone. He talks about how the days turn into weeks and the weeks turn into months. But then he has kind of a watershed moment, and he realizes it hurts too much not to start moving forward, and so he does. He visits Sophia in New York, and while they're just hanging out in her apartment, Sophia gets a phone call from a stranger. Benjamin refuses to talk to him, so Sophia gets on the line and tells him to speak to the hand. On Benjamin's flight back to L.A., he doesn't feel like he's going home. He feels like he's leaving his heart behind, and he decides he needs a new beginning in New York. The chapter ends with Benjamin selling a lot of his stuff and packing and making all his arrangements, and it's only three days from when he's supposed to leave. And he gets a text from Anna, who he hasn't heard from in three years. So let's give it a listen. It's chapter 45, three years later. Chapter 45, Three Years Later, August 2019 For the first six months after Sophia's gone, it's a steady cycle of getting up, going to work, coming home, and sitting out front with Cooper curled up at my feet as I try to write. I don't go out. I don't see anyone. Days turn into weeks. Weeks turn into months. I keep isolating, but I find a strange kind of comfort and safety in the monotony of routine, a certain kind of peace in becoming forgotten. On one hand, it's mission accomplished. I mean, I did get Sophia into the lifeboat. I did break the cycle. I didn't become my dad. But everyone I ever loved is gone, and Cassandra isn't around to talk me off the ledge anymore. All those years when it got bad, I'd remember what that guy Brian told me on 9-11, and it snapped me back in place. But it was having to be there for Sophia that kept me passing those open windows. Now I get up, look around my empty apartment, and wonder, what's my motive, my reason, my purpose? What's going to keep me passing the open windows now? Anna and I didn't talk again after that day she drove away from my place. Every time I'd hear a great song or see a cool movie or read something I knew she'd love, I'd start to call her so we could share it together. It became this whole process of talking myself out of it, like the worst case of withdrawals. Other than a couple of texts Keith sent making sure I hadn't told Anna about his cheating, we never talked after that fight at the snake pit. I couldn't bring myself to replace Coco. I think I'll just wait out old Cooper before I think about another dog. It's just too sad to think about. 
Then, one bright Sunday morning, late last year, I was sitting out front listening to Uncloudy Day by the Staples Singers when I hear something rustling above. And I glance up and some squirrels are leaping like ninjas from branch to branch and straight into the blinding wintry sun. I wince and everything goes black. And as my eyes adjust to the more forgiving shade, I feel something coarse through my veins, like that first swallow of cold water when you're really dehydrated. Then this comes to me and I start to write. I've always felt a darkness in me. I thought it was my mom's curse and I did everything I could to prevent it from passing through me to Sophia. But maybe I only understood half of it. I mean, doesn't darkness always surround the light? One can't subsist without the other. Artists have devoted their lives to cracking that mystery of that complicated coexistence. But like a firefly dancing in the dark, it's the light that dazzles, delights, and endures. And maybe I keep turning to the music and movies my mom showed me because that's her light passing through me. Maybe her light in me is the light in Sophia shining for the world to see. I read that back and the pall lifts. It hurt too much to sit still any longer. First, I go back and get my psych degree. It doesn't convince me I should make a career change, at least not yet, but it feels good to finally do something for myself. And Sarah helped me fill out a profile on some dating sites. <laughs> I mean, I don't go on any dates, but it's there when my heart becomes ready again. Then the valve opens, and I start writing like a maniac. It comes in torrents, and all I can do is try to get it down before it vanishes into the ether. Every night I rush home from work and sit down cross-legged on the living room floor with torn-out pages of journal entries spread all around me. On one side of the room, stacks of pages about driving up the coast with my mom while she shared stories and played me music. On the other side of the room, my time with Anna in college. And in front of me, pages about Sophia and me through the years. Behind me, my sessions with Cassandra, the emails with Anna, and my reconciliation with Sophia. I took Sophia's idea that day I dropped her off at college, our father-daughter journey interwoven with Anna's and mine. It's a big jigsaw puzzle. Little by little, I start crafting a narrative arc and suturing all the connective tissue. And the best part is, it turns out, I've been writing the book all along. And a couple months ago, I was in New York visiting Sophia. She's a junior now and shares an apartment in East Harlem with two roommates. We order some takeout sushi, and she puts on some music. Wise Up by Amy Mann comes on, and then Take This Waltz by Leonard Cohen, then Cat Stevens' The Wind. Hey, what's with this music, I ask her. What, she asks, looking surprised. Isn't this what you called my sad music, I say? Dad, I was just mad at you, she scoffs. I love these songs. I smile and shake my head. The food comes, and we're playing the trivia game Bezer Wizard 
when Sophia's phone buzzes. She gets up and walks over to the kitchen counter and answers it. I'm trying to answer a question about the process of boiling liquid and condensing its vapor, so I'm not paying attention until I hear her say, Wait, who is this? I look over and mouth to her, Who is it? She turns away and lowers her voice. You shouldn't have called. Curious, I get up and walk towards her. She sees me approaching and says even quieter, Yeah, but that's probably not going to happen. I walk around the kitchen to face her and ask again, So, who is it? She covers the phone and stares at me. I give her a curious look back. It's your dad, she finally says. What the fuck? I mouth at her. I watch her listen to him for a minute. Then she finally says, hold on, hold on. He says he's dying of cancer, she says to me, covering the phone again. I stare at her for a minute, then ask, how did he get your number? I forgot I gave him my number when I reached out to him on Facebook a few years ago. Soph, I told you, I don't want to have anything to do with that guy. I know, but I thought you'd regret it if you never got to talk to him, she says, still holding her hand over the phone. Does he know I'm here, I ask? Yeah, he heard you, she says. Great, I say, turning to look out the window, overlooking the East River. I can feel her eyes on me. Dad... Just tell me what you want, she asks. He could have called me any time in the last 40 years, I say, watching the ferry slowly pass. He's dying, so now he calls? Forget it. You sure, she asks. I turn to face her. I've got nothing to say to him, I answer. She nods and takes a deep breath. You still there, she asks. What? No, he's not going to talk to you. Now listen, never call again. Don't come looking for us. Don't even send a goddamn Christmas card. Do you understand? She listens for a minute. I don't care if you're terminal, she says, raising her voice. All these years, you're a ghost, and not once were you ever curious to know how your son was? Never bothered to check and see if he had a kid? Now you're dying, and what? You want to clear your conscience? Go see a priest if you want absolution. She pauses and listens to him speak for a long time. Oh, please, she finally interrupts. You never even wanted him alive. You left a single mother to raise your kid. How do you live with yourself? She listens for a minute. Just stop, she interjects. You're embarrassing yourself now. Seriously. She pauses again to listen. You really think you're doing him some big favor by magically appearing after all these years, she goes on? You think you're what? going to complete him? I'm going to give it to you on the real. You didn't destroy him. You made him stronger. Do you understand? He's a great father. And you know why? Because he vowed to never be like you. So why don't you just go kick off? She hangs up and tosses her phone onto the couch and says, number blocked, motherfucker. Soph, I say. That was fucking awesome. Yeah, she asks, her eyes lighting up. Yeah. That was like Fantasy Island for me. If you want to know the truth, it did feel kind of brilliant, she says, starting to chuckle. Didn't know I had that in me. We both start laughing. And when the laughter finally dies down, she asks, Are you really okay? God, I'm so good, I tell her. 
you're amazing. At the end of the trip, Sophia walks me to the subway to make sure I get on the right train to the airport. As we wait on the platform, I'm mindlessly looking at an ad on the wall. She must have wandered off. A minute later, I look over and just for a second, I don't recognize her. I see this poised and fierce-looking young lady. Jesus, I think. That's my daughter standing there in all her splendor. And I think to myself, I like this person. I like what she's about. How she carries herself. I want to be around that energy. On the plane ride back to L.A., it doesn't feel like I'm going home. It feels like I'm leaving my heart behind. When I get home, I call and ask her how she'd feel about me moving to New York. Dad, are you being serious? Oh my God, that's fantastic, she gushes. Really? I mean, I don't want to infringe on your territory or anything, I say. Dad, don't be crazy. I want you around. You sure, I ask? A hundred P, she says. But what made you decide? There's just nothing left for me here anymore, I tell her. My heart's where you are. Hey, Dad, she says. I'm really glad. I can't wait. I start making arrangements and selling stuff I won't need. Give notice at work. And as the days wind down, I feel certain I'm making the right decision. Then, three days before I leave L.A. behind, I get a text from Anna. Hey, you. Long time, huh? You think we could meet for coffee? I have some news. 